Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Strength and Recovery Podcast. Today, we are at St. Charles, Illinois, at Recovery Centers of America. We're at this amazing campus. It is a cold day, um, but a sunny day. Um, and and just add, so, uh, this campus sits back off the road, and it's just this stunning place. It's got a pond in the middle with a bridge and um, just a beautiful place, a, a serene place um, where people find recovery. And I'm sitting down with Henry Love, our uh, new alumni coordinator here. And he's been with RCA a while and um, has just taken on to this alumni coordinator position. And we are so grateful to have you. Hey, how you doing, Jay? Um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, and like you just said, this is a beautiful campus. If you want to find a place with peace and serenity to recover, um, I think St. Charles RCA is the place to do that. Um, I, I was here yesterday. It was not as pretty of a day, but you did a, a beautiful ceremony um, called uh, the Bridge Ceremony. Tell me a little bit about that. What's that like? Yes, the Bridge Ceremony. Um, what the Bridge Ceremony is, it's um, where we have the clients, patients, however you want to say it come to the bridge um, which sits in the middle of the campus and what we do is actually a symbolic gesture to crossing from your life of uh, addiction uh, you cross the bridge over into your 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 life of recovery so that's what that's what it's really all about it's about coming from that place of struggle that place of uh, stress and uh, depression or whatever what have you and crossing over crossing over to a life of freedom a life of peace a life of serenity like I just said and um, that's that's what it's symbolic of and all the patients come out and it's as people are <laughs> discharging right yes and um, it's a celebration there's music yes. it's just well wishes people <laughs> are hollering and cheering it's, yes. it's just the neatest thing to be a part of yes we actually make it a celebration because it is it's a celebration of recovery a celebration of life so uh, yes we make a big ado about it Well, thank you for your work. And um, how long have you been with RCA? Um, Actually, on January uh, the 18th of this year, marked my first year, my first year anniversary here with RCA. Wow. And um, you had left another position and just wanted to get into the field? Yeah, when I came on, I came on as an RSS, a recovery support specialist. Doing an outstanding job. And um, we we had a great event last night. We had... uh, just a good time with a bunch of alums, alums from uh, that it, it had are back into the community. Some are in our outpatient program, and we went axe throwing. I had never done that before. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That's my first time ever doing it too. Um, I didn't realize how how taxing it could be on your body, but <laughs> I, um, it was really fun. And all the all the uh, alums they enjoyed it. Like I said, um, it was just about you know we had pizza, we had sodas. So it was all about the food, the fun, and the fellowship. So that's what I think that's what sobriety is all about. That's what recovery is about. It's just about people coming together and just enjoying each other's company. And I think we had a good example of that last night with the axe throwing. And just experiencing life sober. 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 Number one. Um, I was talking to one of the alums last night, and... He said that um, you guys had gone to the White Sox game mm-hmm. a while back, the uh, the alums, and he said it was his first baseball game 
sober ever <laughs> and um just he how much he enjoyed being able to have that experience and and almost practice that activity you know that could be associated with drinking mm-hmm. or could be um in a safe environment and with people where he felt like he had support there you go you're absolutely right um that's one thing whenever i share with um on the cottages here with uh patients and patients uh about life and recovery I always mention those sober events about going somewhere. And oftentimes they mention that it being their first time mm-hmm. doing those type of events, like bowling, for instance. <clears throat> I had a patient mention that whenever he thought about bowling, he automatically associated with, um, you know, having a beer. Because I guess for the, some people, the two just went hand in hand. But when I explained doing it, you know, sober, you know, sober people doing sober things together, like-minded folk hanging out. Um, he just, he, he actually explained that... Um, he couldn't wait to experience that mm-hmm. because he had never done it. Even having birthdays, like we just had a guy walk the bridge yesterday, um, and he said, <laughs> you know, he walked across the bridge saying, it's my first birthday, and I don't know how many years, sober. Wow. Even though he's in treatment, but he's celebrating a sober birthday. And for some people, that's a milestone. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and oh, addiction can rob so much and of, of just the, the simple things in life, your hobbies, you don't have time to golf anymore mm. because you're spending so much time on addiction and 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 that life it just it maybe you know going to the games go you know it and so to introduce people back into all of that and let them explore there you go. maybe they don't know what they enjoy anymore oh that's I like how you put that because <clears throat> again that's another thing about the uh, alumni and, and the sober events Giving them an, ex- an experience to, um, I take myself, for example, being transparent, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I, oftentimes I enjoy fishing, mm-hmm. but fishing wasn't just fishing for me. Mm-hmm. Fishing was an opportunity to drink, and even when I share it with, in, in group, me- group meetings, um, people associate the same thing, that their so-called fun activities were really activities that opened the door to use whatever substance or, you know, they chose to use, but... Once they start to hear that, you know, we don't have this life of gloom and doom once we become um, sober. We can have fun in our sobriety. And, you know, oftentimes we talk about being present in those moments. And like you just said, um, for me to fish now, now I actually enjoy the art of fishing. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's more of a skill to it. It's not just me throwing a, um, a lure out in the water. And being alone and, and isolation. Then you go, and then you right. go in isolation. Now I, I enjoy those events. Like just last night, the axe throwing. Uh-huh. Me, myself, I mean, I, I have some time in sobriety. I have 10 years now. Congratulations. Um, thank you. You just reached that. <laughs> I just reached that. Yeah. Matter of fact, on January 16th of this year marked uh, 10 years of sobriety for me. It's beautiful. Thank you. And But now I look at it, th- those things that I do now, I'm more in the moment, more mm-hmm. present when it's going on. And last night was one of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I was going around the room and I was just asking folk how they felt about what they were doing at the time. And everybody, the, the one word I kept hearing is this is great. This is great. I've never felt like this, mm. you know, just hanging out. And, I mean, we have some. It may be only, you know, matter of fact, I know we have some less than 60 days sober. And I think that <laughs> there's a great fear as people are getting sober that they're not going to have any more fun. That they're, not, you know, <laughs> that this is going to rob them of their 
they're fun. There you go. They're a pleasure. Like I say, you always we're not the we're not the, the um, society of doom and gloom. We actually life in sobriety, life in recovery. It is a fun life. It's enjoyable. And then to actually through the alumni association to show people mm-hmm. with sober events, just give them a taste of what life can be like mm-hmm. living sober. And that's what we. I think that's what they they um. They got to experience that last night. Yeah. So, yes, to be in the moment, to be present, to enjoy uh, someone's company, and not to be you have, have your mind clouded, you know, by some substance, some um, or some drink, to actually be present. Yeah. And that's what I saw last night, and everybody was just having a good time. Me especially, just I had fun watching other folk have Absolutely. fun. Absolutely, <laughs> it was a, it was a good night. It was. It was. Henry, tell us a little bit about yourself. Huh? Um. I tell you, I'm, a, I'm 55 years old. Um, I'm married, been married 24 years. I have three girls and one boy, um, all adults now. Um, like as I said, I am a recovering alcoholic and addict for the longest part of my life, I think. Um, I suffered with the disease of addiction. Um, I was addicted to heroin for some 17 years. Um, I struggled with alcohol for eight years after the heroin. So, I don't know, that's what, 24, 25 years uh, of my life. So, half my life spent, you know, battling addiction. Um, I mean, if you take away my childhood, my whole life up until (laughs) just the recent past 10 years was, you know, living in in substance abuse. Um, I grew up in a home where alcohol was always there. Um, My parents, I don't think they ever acknowledged it, but I think my parents did have a problem with alcohol. Um, actually, any family event, any family function that I attended, you know, alcohol was there, and there was some drug use present too. So I think that all had a, um, an impact on me as to um, looking at drugs and alcohol as being sort of socially acceptable. Do so, you remember kind of your first when it first started? I, exactly, I remember it. I actually had my first drink when I was twelve years old. I had my first beer. I shared it with my cousin when I was twelve years old, and. I hate to say this, but I enjoyed the taste of it. <laughs> and so it was almost immediate. Immediately. I became, I knew, I, 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 don't, I didn't know it at the time, but I became addicted right away. Wow. And soon after that, I moved from um, drinking beers to smoking marijuana. And I think by the time I was 15, 16 years old, my first, what I considered it was, my hard drug, um, I used what they called um, syrup at the time. They called it syrup. It's actually... Um, codeine liquid codeine mm-hmm. cough syrup and i was drinking that and that's when i found that i had uh and I, I enjoyed opiates mm-hmm. and i used that for and some, you're still a teenager I'm still a teen, i was only 15 16 years old wow yeah actually i, I started using heroin when i was 21 years old uh, as soon as i turned 21 i was introduced to heroin and because it had such a, a likeness to the syrup that i was drinking the, uh-huh. the codeine um, I immediately latched on to th- that. I think there's some things people don't understand too. When the when the use happens so young, mm. and your body is still oh. developing, the brain is still developing, it changes our ability to process I'm, everything around us. You know, it's 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 good that you mentioned that because, like I said, I I became I know I became, I became addicted at an early age, so processing things as an adult that I don't think I even start processing as an adult till I was in my 30s mm-hmm. I think for most of my life I actually behaved not only as an addict but as a you know an immature child in some of my decision making and 
how I um, approached people, how I saw things. Mm-hmm. And that in itself only added to my problems, mm-hmm. meaning I started getting in trouble young. Um, I started being disrespectful at home young mm-hmm. because I wasn't, like you just said, I wasn't processing the things that a normal mind, a normal mm-hmm. teenager would be um, dealing with. I saw things. I was still dealing with things as a child, even, even though I was getting older and older. Now, were you able to finish school or how's that going? <laughs> it's funny you bring that up too. No, I was not. I did not finish school at the time that, that I should have. Uh-huh. Actually, I didn't complete my education until I was well. I was clean and sober at the time. Uh-huh. But I actually moved on and, as an adult, um, went on and got my GED and went from getting my GED to uh, just on last year, I earned my bachelor's degree. So, no, I did not finish school. Um, I was no good in school. Actually, I got kicked out when I was, I think I was 17 years old. I was put out of school. So, yeah, because the way that my mind functioned, education was not a priority mm-hmm. at, 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 at that age. It didn't become a priority until once my mind was cleared of drugs and alcohol. When did, it, when did you know? When did Henry know? There might have been people around you mm-hmm. that, uh, I got a problem. Did you always know? <laughs> no, you know what? It's that's that's a strange thing. Um, I'll tell you this. I remember once. Now I told you I was I was having trouble with the um, courts and the, the law, and I was using um, heroin. Mm-hmm. But because my the way I was introduced to heroin, my uncle was a dealer, mm-hmm. and I worked for him, and heroin was was always around and. I eventually started using it, and I actually went to a went to court for, for a, a charge I had against me. And a guy that I grew up with, I ran into him at the courthouse, and he asked a question about I don't know how we got on the conversation of using, but we talked about using. And we went in the bathroom, and he asked, "Would I like to, you know, use some heroin with him?" And I said, "Yes." And he asked the question. He said, um, "Do you get sick?" Believe it or not, even, you know, I was still young, but I did not understand what being sick was. Mm -hmm. And he explained it to me. Like, if you don't use any, do you get sick? Do you feel bad? And I said, you know what? It's funny. Since I've been using, I've never not had it. Mm -hmm. So I did a thing. Um, He said, you should try it. Wake up tomorrow and don't use any. So I did that. And I woke up and, man, I was so, so sick. And the, the, the young lady I was with at the time, I told her. I was like, you know what? I think I'm, I'm addicted to this. And the, believe it or not, what she said, she was crying. <laughs> and she said, I can't believe it. She called me a junkie. Mm. I can't believe it. You a junkie. And I was like, I'm looking at myself and I wear nice clothes at the time. I was wearing nice clothes. I was doing what I thought I should be doing, had my own place and all. Mm-hmm. But it was only because of the lifestyle I was living. Mm-hmm. I was a drug dealer. So that's the reason I was able to have the drug. But that's when I found out I couldn't, that I couldn't be without the drug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and long story short, the life of a drug dealer isn't long. So mm-hmm. that life didn't last long. When the drugs were taken away um, from selling, I became, I started taking to support my habit. And mm-hmm. by taking, I became a robber. I was robbing people. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say, I mean, and I don't say this like I have some moral compass I was living by. But I didn't rob a mom and pop. <laughs> Me and my, you know, smart way of thinking, I robbed other drug dealers. Mm. Because I didn't want the money, I wanted the drug. Mm. 
And that's when my life went from then on. I would go, I would rob drug dealers. Sometimes they would <laughs> rat me out. I'd get arrested. I'd go into prison, use drugs in prison, come out, use drugs again. So it became a vicious cycle. And I went from just being, you know, taking what I wanted, doing what I wanted to support this habit. Mm. Now, let's not, let's not mention, I mean, let's not forget all the damage that was done on the way. Yeah, we're well, talking about your family. Oh, got- come on, mom. Like they they were not off limits either. I'm, now. I, I look at Grandpa <laughs> Henry. You've got the you know the grandkid, uh, the dad. No, the every, incredible every. alumni coordinator. You know, pursuing a counseling degree, all the things. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't believe it, right? He's a different person. Um, I serve in my church. Uh huh. That's one thing that saved me, the church. Mm-hmm. And in, 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 in my church, um, I was called on once to share. We call it testimony. Mm-hmm. And I was, given, I was given the opportunity to share my testimony. And in my testimony, some of the things we've discussed right now, I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I, told, I shared that. And um, afterwards, a lot of people came to me and they said, you know, we would have never thought that you were that person. Mm-hmm. Actually, I didn't believe I was that person. I didn't know I was that person until I was not. I mean, when, today when I look back on the person I was and the things that I did, um, all in the name of getting a drug, getting an alcohol, mm-hmm. not just alcohol, but the heroin, um, yeah, I was not who you see today. Mm-hmm. I was a different person. And the thing about it, that was only 10 years ago. That is not a long time. So for, like I say, most of my life, I lived as a different person. I was a... I had a double life, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I was that person who basically would do anything for the, in the name of a drug and a drink. And today I have to say it, it's only by the grace of God, it's only because of me surrendering my life and turning my life over to, as we call it, a power, greater, no, a power of our understanding. I don't know if I can say it, but I'm going to say it. My higher power is my Lord and Savior, Savior, who is Jesus Christ. And when I surrendered to that, I was able to let go of the drugs. I was able to finally sit down and get help, go into treatment, and do the things that I had to do to be the person I am today. And I can honestly say today, I'm happily married. Um, My children, who... I may have lost their respect earlier. They respect me today. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a good, my work, my work is my passion now mm-hmm. because the life that I live, the person that I was, I see it in patients and clients. And I'm able to share my own story to try to bring them out of it. How, and, how did you take that first step? That's funny, right? <laughs> It was actually um, the first time I ever sought help. And I have to be honest with you. I went into a detox. And I did it because my mom, she actually said, you need to go get help. Because she knew my life. She knew what I was doing. Um, people were talking about me. They knew. And, and you've been married 24, 24 years. years. So wife is involved too. Oh, my I mean, wife was she, right there. She knew what was going on. <laughs> She knew, and she, she's a saint because I don't know, how, I don't know if I could have dealt with me, mm. but she did. 
So when I, my, my first time going into, in um, I didn't go into treatment, I only went to treatment once, but my first time in a detox, um, I remember that I did not go into a nice detox. I went into this place where I was basically just thrown on the floor mm. and just to, you know, it was a cold turkey type of deal. And, but I did it and I, I lasted a few months afterwards, but I was only detoxing. I had no understanding of coping skills and relapse prevention and these things I know today. But I just knew not to use. Mm-hmm. So um, in the rooms, we call it white knuckling. Mm. So I white knuckled it as much as I could. But I eventually went back. And I used again. And I'll give you this. It wasn't until my daughter, my middle daughter, she actually, um, I remember one day, she leaving out for school. She wrote, it was cold outside, it snowed. She wrote on the back window of my car, um, for me to stop mm-hmm. what she wrote was dad please stop drinking that was a mess and that was a shot and you know that was a dagger in the heart right there now did I stop that day no but it really put something on my heart that what I was doing was affecting my family I started to be able to see the damage you know I was hearing the arguments I was having with my wife um, I saw my daughters were kind of like pulling away from me mm-hmm. And that's when I decided I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I won't forget it. I, I, I was actually, and being honest, I got into this big, huge argument with my wife about a coat. I'm telling you about a coat that I had bought my daughter. And in my, my mind, my daughter wasn't treating the coat the way I thought she should. And we got in this huge argument. And my wife said I had to leave the house because I was being violent. I wasn't. I didn't hit her or anything, but I was. She. I, I scared her. Mm-hmm. So I left the house that day, and I went. It was not far from where I lived. There was a motel there, mm-hmm. and I went to this motel, and I took a drink with me. I'm holding. I'm, I was drinking at the time, but just something inside of me was saying, "You can't keep doing this." Why do I have this bottle in my hand? And it, it, it's so crazy. I went inside the, the, the you know the little bureau they have right there, mm-hmm. and. The information was there. Wow. If you need help. <laughs> That's crazy. It was a 1-800 number. So I picked up the phone. I dialed this 1-800 number. And the guy on the phone answered it. How can I? And I just said, I need help. That's what I said. I said, I need help. And I'm bawling now. I'm like, I started crying. And, nah, nah, nah. and the guy <laughs> asked me, he said, where are you? And I told him, I'm, I'm in a hotel. I'm not, not, not. And he was like, uh, no, where, what town, where are you? And I told him I was in, um, at the time, I'm in Chicago, Illinois. They were in Florida. He said, um, he told me where they were. And he said, if you can get here, um, we'll take you. Mm. And I, what I asked him, I said, can you, put, can you book, book a, uh, a flight for me? So I did. I, he booked the flight. Wow. Now, it wasn't a free flight. Yeah. <laughs> but he booked the flight. I called my wife and I told her, I said, you know what? I can't keep doing, I can't keep going through this. Uh-huh. I just called, got off the phone with a guy. And it was in Florida. I said, I'm leaving and I'm going into treatment. I said, if you would, can you please take me to the airport? So she said, yeah, she would. She came to the motel that morning. I didn't leave right there. I left that morning. She brought me a little bag because I left with nothing. She brought me a little bag. I went and got on a plane. And I went to Florida. I have to tell you this. 
I was still a mess. Mm -hmm. I do not even remember getting on that plane. I don't even remember getting to Florida and how I got to the uh, the center. I remember waking up with a robe on, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, the gown you wear mm -hmm. in the hospital. And like, where am I? <laughs> this is a recovery center. And I couldn't, for the life of me, I don't know. I don't, I don't, all I remember was getting out of the car with my wife. And you know where I went? I went to the lounge. And from there, I just, I, I blacked out. I woke up in Florida. But I did meet a guy there, Robert. Mm. And Robert, for some reason, out of all the people I ever talked to, I connected with him. And what he said to me, and I'll never forget this here. He said, in order for you to succeed, and I still today remember this, man, you got to do the work. I didn't know what the work was. You know. Now, you got to give it, you know, I kind of jumped straight over there, but there, there are bits and pieces in between where people always mention this work. And, these, mm -hmm. you know, and, I'm, and he explained it. And he explained um, the AA. Alcoholics Anonymous program And in that center I started going to meetings mm -hmm. um, I was lucky Fortunate enough that We actually went outside To meetings mm -hmm. We didn't do meetings we, So we went to actual mm -hmm. AA meetings And it was from that on Then on Along with a therapist Along with counselors Along with you know, Support of AA That I finally latched on To what this thing was about And uh, this thing I'm talking about Is sobriety And Since I, I went in there, that was January 16th of 2013. Wow. And I haven't used a drink or a drug since. So, Rob, I thank him because it was him. I gotta, let me add something to you to that. Absolutely. <laughs> the funny part about this too, how I, I just want to mention it, how I started um, in this field. Uh-huh. I lost my license from to a DUI back in 2004. Even without that, I still actually have three DUIs. So I haven't, I haven't had a driver's license since 2004. So I was trying to get my license. I wanted to get my license back. And they had me, you got to go through so much. But I understand because I, I, I did that. Mm -hmm. And I went <laughs> and I went to this program and I met a guy. <laughs> His name was Bo. And Bo, um, I don't know, I just kind of took to him. Mm -hmm. And from that, I, I met him that time, but I had to go twice. I had to go two different times. And it was, it was an outpatient program, mm -hmm. intensive outpatient program. And I actually told Bo, oh, I didn't tell him, but I said to him, Bo, I would love to be able to do what you do to do this kind of work. Now, I'm in recovery, yeah. but I don't have a license. So that's why I'm in the program right. to get my license. And he knew that I was there on my own. I wasn't court ordered. I was doing it. And I told yeah. him, I'm trying to get my license back. Well, I told him that I would love to be doing this work. Almost from that time to this, it took almost seven years. Mm. And I came to work at RCA. <laughs> and I went into the cafeteria. And this is, when I came on, COVID was still going on. Um, and I saw Bo. And, and Bo works here. Bo was, Bo was working here. Yeah. Let me tell you, yeah, <laughs> Bo was here. He's working here. And I, I ran up to Bo. <laughs> and I was like, Bo, it's me. And he's looking at me because Bo was like this real reserve type guy. And I pull my mask off, and he's, he recognizes me. And you're expecting a hug. <laughs> I'm looking at Bo, and I'm holding my... I'm like, Bo, it's me, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him, 
I said, Bo, I, I t- I'm, I'm doing, I told you I want to do this work. I'm doing it. You know what he said? <laughs> he said, well, get to work. <laughs> That's Bo. That's what he did. He said, well, get to work. And I love what I do. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's my passion. And I just hope I can continue to doing this here like well into my senior years like Bo. How important <laughs> is it to just have those people they're not coddling you. They're not giving you what you want, but they're saying, do the work. I'm hearing that as a theme. It is. And that's, you know what? It, I've actually, I've adopted that, you know, and it's what, I, it's what I, I say now. I always tell patients or those in treatment, um, I use the same thing that, that, that Robert gave me. In order to succeed, you have to do the work and the work that's required, whatever that is. I always share that you have to stay motivated in order to stay sober. And we're looking at the other side of this. Oh, yeah. And we're looking 10 years later. Yes. That that wasn't an easy 10 years. No, it was not. No, it was not. I mean, you've been doing a lot of work. A lot. Tell How do you stay motivated every single day? I'll tell you how. To do that work? Um... I share this with with, 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 with patients um, or those in recovery. I keep saying patients because we're here, but the thing that keeps me motivated is to remember what it took for me to get through that 24 hours. Now, granted, it's 24 hours, 24 hours, you know, over time, and eventually it's 10 years now. But I still live one day at a time, and I live like that because every day I have to remember where I came from how I got here and how I do that is just remembering the pain in my mother's face (laughs) remembering the prison cell remembering the dope sick remembering the shaky hands and remembering my daughter Mm. I have three but I don't know that that my, my, my middle girl that one, that message, and the connection that her and I share. But it's remembering those things. And I have to say this. I have one fear, really. And my fear, my greatest fear, is relapse. And I say that because I don't view relapse, in, in, to, in, for me, relapse doesn't mean taking a drink. I mean, that is, that's a part of it. But for me, relapse is losing my wife. Relapse is losing my kids. Relapse is not having a, a place to call work, home. Relapse is lost for me. And in the end, relapse is my own death. So it's that fear that keeps me motivated, that keeps me doing this here. And how I'm able to remember it is doing what we say in the rooms. I give it away. I give it away. I share my story. I share my experiences. Because in doing so, I remember. Almost I have to relive it. And some days are worse than others where when I do share, when I do tell people what I've gone through or what you know, my life was like as an addict and as, as an alcoholic, it saddens me that that's who I was. But then again, I have to share my hope. Right. Today is a new day. Today is a different day. And... Today, let me be somebody else's motivation. 
and have compassion. Yes. For the boy. Yes. Whose brain was changed. Yes. Before he even had a chance to develop by a horrible substance. I love the way you said that. Yes. Because I have to forgive that person. I mean, it was, I wouldn't say it was his fault, but it happened. And. And you have compassion have to, for that. I do, because I still see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember it in my own life. And then I see it in other you know, young guys' lives. Mm-hmm. And that's how I do it. I have, to, I have to be compassionate for them. And in doing so, I got to add this, in doing so, it, it makes me less self-centered, less selfish. I feel more empathy toward the next person because I can relate to what, you, what you're going through, what you've gone through. And you're talking about that fear. And a lot of people are like, well, we shouldn't live in fear. We shouldn't. Mm. How do you justify that? Or how do, you, how do you talk yourself through that this is, it's a healthy thing. You, you just took it's your words out of my like mouth. It's almost like a respect. It's a, that's a better way of saying it. <laughs> I like how you said that. It is just a respect for the process that I had to go through. And the consequences. And the consequences. It's like this here. It, it, use something simple. Like putting your hand on a hot stove. I've learned to respect the hot stove. Absolutely. <laughs> I know what's going to happen should I put my hand on that stove. And I respect the consequences of that because I don't want to relive it. Now, don't get me wrong. I've touched the hot stove many, many times. And I would just say my life has the blisters to show it. Mm-hmm. But today, I'm, I mean, I'm healed. I'm recovered. Not recovered, recovering from this disease of addiction, of alcoholism. And I, I love my life. I love my life today. Because when I think back on the way things were, and I can even think about how things could be right now if I wasn't sober. I always, I, I always I, I share this here. Sobriety has given me more than my addiction ever took from me. Mm-hmm. And I live now, today. I live in the moment. You talk about the gifts of sobriety. Hmm. What? Were some of the gifts of sobriety for you? You know, I would I could actually say, um, make it materialistic, mm-hmm. more material, because I didn't have a home, but I have a home now. I didn't own a car, I own one now. I didn't have, didn't have a savings account or money in the bank, but I have it now. But those things, I mean, they're nice, and I, I appreciate it. I'm glad to have it. But the biggest gift that sobriety has given me is my peace and serenity. I know we say it in our prayers, uh-huh. but I know what it is. I know what it is to have peace. I know what it is to be joyful. I know what it is to be empathetic of other people. I know what it is to care for someone other than myself. And it's, with, it's that that I have with sobriety. That's the biggest gift sobriety has given me. It's my peace. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I would not trade it. And so you go back to that, and never that is. fear or that, like, I'm going to be trading mm. that for peace. And there you go. For serenity. And I, don't, I, I can't do that. And that's not, uh, that could happen in one, one, drink. one drink. One drink. It could take it over. I remember a patient once asked me, he said, if you, if you had a drink, what would happen? He asked me that. What would happen? I said, if I had a drink today, nothing would happen today. But if you saw me a week later, you mm. probably wouldn't recognize me. My life would be changed so fast if I just took one drink. 
because I wouldn't know how to stop. My addiction doesn't allow me to stop. And I know that and I respect that mm-hmm. today. That should I take one drink, the cycle begins again. And I'm not ready to do that ever again. Henry, talk to somebody out there today that's still in the cycle, is afraid to get help, is afraid they have to white knuckle it. That's not exactly what we do here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's we make the process as comfortable as possible. It's a beautiful facility, mm-hmm. clean rooms, wonderful fellowship, yeah. gorgeous facility. Um, talk to somebody who needs the courage to pursue treatment today. Jay, what I would say to, to anyone who's seeking help, to seeking to change their life or their, their situation, I know that addiction, it's a horrible place to be in. It's a horrible state of mind. It's a horrible way to live. But there is a better way. And we, you can have it. Anyone can have it. But you have to want it. It has to be something deep inside of you that surpasses the need to drink, the need to use. Now, that might be um, hard to comprehend, but I t- I'll give you this. There's someone who, can, who wants to help you. There's always someone who understands what you're going through. And will help you do the work. And will help, there you go, will help you with the work. I had the opportunity yesterday, and it's so funny that you asked this question. A young man yesterday, he just got here, and I was telling him, and I'm saying to anybody who's listening, people like me exist, who've already went down that road, who've come out on the other side, or were still journeying to the other side. But what I shared was this, if you need someone to talk to, if you need someone to understand, I'm here. That guy broke down in tears as soon as I said Mm. that. Because I I know what it's like to be alone, to be scared, to not know that someone understands what you're going through. But you're you're not in it all by yourself. You're not in it alone. You were his Robert. There you go. Oh, my God. Look at you. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not in this alone. And you can't do it alone. The big book says to us, I can't, but we can. So if anybody needs help, if anybody is looking to change their life, contact somebody. Reach out to someone because help is there. But you have to ask for it. Mm. You have to be strong enough to ask for it. If you hold your hand out, somebody will reach out and grab it. I believe that. We always end with favorite recovery quote. Do you have one? Favorite recovery quote? You know what? <laughs> I don't know if you want to call it a recovery quote. But one thing I often remember. Um, it's it's, it's so, so simple. What one man or person, what one man can do, another can do as well. Mm. Remember that What one man can do Another can do As well Or also mm-hmm. And recovery We do recover One day at a time I love that Henry thank you so much For being with us today For sharing your story For pouring your life And giving so much To our patients And to our alums And their families And friends uh, We appreciate you 
Listeners, if you or someone you know needs help, please reach out today. We are standing by 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-833-RCA-ALUM. Somebody can be that person that helps you get help. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today for the Strength and Recovery Podcast. Real people, real experiences, real hope. This podcast is presented by the Alumni Association of Recovery Centers of America. If you're interested in learning more, visit rcaalumni.com. Here, you can fill out our web form to make sure you're receiving our daily recovery emails and are notified of special events. The Alumni Association of RCA exists to connect individuals to an active recovery community. It is our goal to work with alumni to help them succeed, belong, and ultimately serve others. We help our alumni succeed by hosting more than 120 recovery support meetings per month with both virtual and in-person offerings of big book studies, speaker meetings, beginners meetings, Monday through Friday daily inspiration meetings, meetings for men and women, and faith-based meetings. Second, we create a welcoming community that provides a sense of belonging with a full calendar of events each month. Speaker series, barbecues, holiday celebrations, bowling, sporting events, theater shows, and much more. Thirdly, we provide an opportunity for our alumni to serve both the recovery community and in our local neighborhoods. We offer speaker commitments, chair commitments, mentoring opportunities in our facilities, volunteering at food banks, recovery, and overdose awareness events. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Recovery Centers of America provides inpatient and outpatient treatment and has locations in Massachusetts, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Indiana, and Illinois. Recovery Centers of America, or RCA, was founded to break down barriers to expert treatment. We answer the phone and admit patients 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, are in network with major insurance providers, and provide evidence-based treatment in our world-class facilities. If you or someone you know needs help, call 1-800-RECOVERY and know we are here for you.